You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Russell takes the snap, steps up in the pocket, looks, has time. Now he's going to throw. Tyler Lockett looks for the ball. He's got it. Touchdown, Seahawks! Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. The handoff inside to Carson starts up the middle, now bounces it across the line. He's in. Touchdown, Seahawks! Powered by Seahawks.com. Welcome to week one of the regular season and welcome to the Seahawks Insider Podcast. Cannot wait to be with you for another year and thrilled that you are joining us. The us today, well, that is me, Jen Mueller, sideline reporter for the Seattle Seahawks, along with John Boyle from Seahawks.com. As always, John, hello. Hi, Jen. Good to be back doing this. It is. And I've got a question for you because I'm sure that everybody listening has their own kind of reaction and response to week one. But once we know that games are for real, does this week go fast or slow for you? I, I feel like it's a pretty quick week. It's just kind of it's it's good to be back in the routine of a regular season week. We kind of know how everything's going to go. And yeah, it's d- actually earlier today. I was like, wow, it's already Thursday. And it, it was it was, you know, this is the little reflection into my life consumed by small children. What made me realize what day it was was figuring out how many more lunches I had to pack for the week <laughs> late last night and thinking, oh, only two more only days two of lunches, more lunches to see how far I can milk these leftovers. So. Well, there you go. And so I'm yes. sure you were relieved. So there you go. The week is going fast. The week is going fast. I was pleasantly fast. surprised by that. Well, you know, somebody else told me that it's not going fast enough and they just want Sunday to get here. And I said, could we just pump the brakes? There's a lot of work that needs to be done between now and then. So I could use a couple more hours in the day. I'm sure that Pete Carroll would love a couple of more hours because he just loves this team right now. And I think the place that we start this week is the impressions that you have after the Seahawks made their initial cutdowns on Saturday and before the biggest news across the NFL started breaking. Yeah, I mean, when I look at the the roster cuts and some of the names, and they, there's a little roster maneuvering, so there are some names that we saw that were surprises who ended up back here in the next day or two, guys like Geno Smith. But, you know, what really stuck out to me is the depth of the team. Pete's talked about it over and over again, and I think when the depth really shows up, when you look at some of the guys they had to let go, guys who – you know, maybe in years past were on this team or could have been on this team and guys who were really productive players and will quickly find jobs elsewhere or have already. And then obviously you hinted at this, but the big thing was Clowney. You know, we'd we'd all heard the rumors, contract situation, he's probably going to get traded, and there's a lot of reasons that made sense, but you just never know if it's going to come together. So that did come together, and all of a sudden this defense got a very intriguing new piece to it. They did. And, you know, when you talk about some of those guys that – Perhaps you were familiar with not making the team. I think that the sense of the unknown is always what causes a little bit of panic or anxiety. So when you release a guy like Deshaun Shedd or when Cassius Marsh doesn't make the team, you know what they have done in the past. And sometimes it's hard to see them go because you're not as familiar with the guys who are taking over for them. And so I think during the preseason, we heard a lot of new names, particularly in the secondary, because we already know that that front seven is really strong and that that could be some source of anxiety or concern around the league or around the fan base. But I got to say, after watching this team in the preseason, zero reason to be concerned about some of these new names that you're not familiar with, but I guarantee are going to be playmakers by the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, they've got a lot of – it's kind of Bradley McDougal and all the young guys back there. And, you know, we know what kind of player he is. He's been fantastic since he's been here. And it's a lot of young guys otherwise. I mean, even Shaquille Griffin in his third year is still young and improving his career. So, 
yeah, it's not, you know, the Pro Bowl names everyone's familiar with in the past, but there's a lot of young talent back there that everyone's excited about. And going back to Clowney, you know, guys like Clowney and Zig Yonsa can make that secondary a lot better, too, because you speed up a quarterback and uh, it makes, makes things easier on the secondary. And really, you are going back to what Pete loves to do and what the Seahawks did when they were absolutely dominating everybody in that 13-14 season, even the last half of 12, where the defense is setting the tone by the way that they are rushing the passer. Getting Clowney in here, and he's a big name. He certainly has numbers and productivity during the course of his career. In fact, 29 sacks, five forced fumbles, 16 tackles for loss. But what does he really do in this scheme for this defense? You know, obviously that's going to be somewhat to to be determined, and Pete Carroll's not going to tell us everything they want to do with him. It's I think it's going to be a little more vanilla week one just because he's so new here. And, A, they're probably going to have to limit his snaps a little bit, but, B, you just can't learn everything in a week. So, I would think, you know, he's just pretty much a edge rusher off uh, off one side or the other, and maybe they move him and Ziggy Ansah around. Maybe they just keep him on one side. But I think long-term, he's the kind of player you're going to see maybe in the light kind of what they did with Michael Bennett of a guy you can move around depending on matchups, depending on the down and the situation of he can rush from the inside. He can stand up and kind of be behind the line of scrimmage and still be really effective off the edge. So, yeah, this is just a really intriguing piece that with his size and athleticism, there's a lot you can do with him. And it's not just him working in a vacuum or working in a bubble. You no. really have to have Ziggy Ansah on the other side. We haven't seen him play at all. We have seen him practice. It does look like he's going to be a go. But without him, you could always slide protection and try to shut down Clowney. Now, it would take a couple of guys based on what we've seen from him, but you can't do that if exactly. these guys are performing at the level we think they are. Yeah, Dwayne Brown spoke on that this week about, you know, from the offensive lineman's perspective of what that's like. And, you know, when these defenses in Seattle were at their best, whether it was some combination of Chris Clemens, Mike Bennett, Cliff Averill, and then after Clemens was gone, just Bennett and Averill. When you got two of those guys, it gets a lot more complicated. And then I talked to KJ Wright about this. What he makes even more so is when you guys, when you have guys like I said with Clowney who can play different spots. Where if you go back and remember a couple of years ago, there'd be times Bennett and Averill would be lined up right next to each other on one side. All of a sudden, that means a guard is blocking one of those guys, and you get them out in space, and it's really difficult. So there's just a lot you can do when you have two really impact pass rushers who can really make things hard because as you said you can't just say okay tight end go chip here running back that way and we won't worry about the other guys you got two legit pro bowl caliber guys to deal with and for as exciting as it is to imagine the possibilities i think the coaches really did try to temper expectations i, I think that was as much <laughs> for the fans yeah. as it was for them right because everybody's jacked up to see what these guys are gonna do well we're all excited i mean you just you look at them just physically. You see those two standing next to each other on the practice field, and then you go back and look at the way they've played and the athleticism. It's the potential's so high there that it's hard not to kind of overhype it initially. But we got to temper expectations, especially week one, just because, as you said, Ziggy Onsa, he's been around, he's learning the defense, but he's been practicing since all of last week. Clowney just got here. So he's learning the defense, and because he was holding out in Houston, he hasn't been practicing. So we're going to see those guys on the field. I'd be shocked if they didn't both play some, but I think 
we're not going to see in week one against Cincinnati what they can be a few weeks from now. We will talk about the specific matchup against Cincinnati in just a few minutes. But first, you mentioned Dwayne Brown and his comments about Jadavian Clowney. Of course, they practiced against each other in Houston and kind of helped each other refine their skill sets. He was asked how he would describe the defense this year, and this is what he said. It's scary, man. It's scary. You know, obviously Clowney and Ziggy on the edge. Puna Ford, I think, is going to be a star in this league. You know, we get J. Reed back. You know, um, Bobby and KJ has been staples in, the, in, this, in this defense and in the league for a long time, playing at a high level. And uh, Kendricks and is a very, very great athlete. Also someone that can rush the passer when asked to. Um, I think it just got real. <laughs> it just got real for other, other offenses. You know what I mean? Um, I'm looking forward to it. Like I said, you know, we, we're going to do our, our part on offense to, to try to you know, be as equally dangerous, uh, but watching those guys is going to be fun. It's not just a Davian Clowney and Ziggy Ansah, though. You really have to expand the look. And look at the entire front seven. I mean, they're getting a lot of attention this week, but let's not forget about Bobby and KJ and Michael. Well, I was just going to say, before a couple days ago, we weren't really talking about the defensive line. We were talking about the linebackers as the strength of this defense. And, you know, that's what, as soon as they re-sign KJ and Michael Kendricks, I think a lot of us thought it was going to be one or the other. They re-signed both of them. And I remember Pete Carroll at the league meetings was not long after that and just raving about this group, that trio of those three, how good they could be together. Because we weren't sure also how do you get them both on the field because in the past, uh, Kendricks and KJ have played the same spot, but we're seeing Kendricks now in that strong side linebacker position. He's moving around doing some different stuff. So, yeah, I that trio up until recently was the strength of the defense, pretty clear cut. Now you add to the mix some et- et elite edge rushers, and then you know Jaron Reed's out for six weeks. But when he's back, you've got a really good interior guy. Everybody's super excited about Puna Ford. You, you cannot get his teammates to stop talking about him, and he's shown it in the preseason. So, yeah, I mean, the, that front seven all of a sudden looks – like it's going to be a, a really elite group. And I talked to Michael Kendricks during the preseason about the difference it made because, remember, he didn't get time with the Seahawks in the preseason last year. He was signed after everything and after a couple of weeks into the season. And he said, you know, having this time, boy, things have slowed down. You know, he really can see things. He's communicating better. So there is no reason to think that that group isn't going to be uh, flying all over the field. And you mentioned before with the rest of the defense, you generate enough pressure. And I don't care where it's coming from. Because prior to acquiring Clowney, you wondered where they were going to get the pressure the QB hits and the sacks from. I think that has been taken care of. But I also think that we're going to see more blitzing from the linebackers. And Ken Norton's going to dial up some more pressure from the secondary. All of this is going to work hand in hand. Yeah, and I think it's going to be really fun to watch what they do. I, I, you know, They're not going to get completely away from what Pete Carroll likes about defense and what he's done in the past. But it, it, that we've seen little signs in the preseason and practice that things might be a little different, as you said, maybe some more guys blitzing. Linebackers obviously love that when their number's called, so they're going to be lobbying for that, we know. But, yeah, it's uh, I think a lot of the concerns people had early on about this defense are now kind of things that we're, we're excited about, and whether it's the young talent in the secondary or the additions they've made to the pass rush, there's a lot to like about this defense on top of the strength, the linebacker that we always knew was there. And when you watch the first couple of weeks, the defense might be behind the offense, which is not usually the case going into the season. Usually, because of the way that it's schemed up, defense tends to be ahead of the offense because you've got to install some new things. 
I think for the first time in a while, you could say that the Seahawks offense is stronger than the defense just because we haven't seen all those guys on the field together. So my big question for week one is, can the Hawks offense pick up where they left off in 2018? They finished with the best rushing offense in the NFL at 160 yards a game, tied for six with 26.8 points per game in nine of their last 12. This goes to the, you know, finishing strong and, and closing out the season as strong as you've ever been. They scored 27 or more points in nine of their last 12 games, and their 11 giveaways were tied for the third fewest in NFL history. Yeah, and if you take it even a little further, just to the second half of the season, they're up there with it's the Chiefs, Saints, and then Seahawks in scoring over the last eight games of the season. And they were, I think, number two in explosive plays over that stretch. So, yeah, I think, you know, as much as we're excited about the defense and some of these new pieces – that could take some time to gel, perhaps. But this offense, you've got four returning starting linemen. We don't know yet if it's going to be Mike Potty or Ethan Posick, but they feel really good about what they've seen from Posick at left guard. So you've got continuity on that line. You've got really good running backs coming back. Sort of the one question mark is who steps up in addition to Lockett at receiver. And, you know, that still needs to be answered. They're really excited about a lot of the young guys they added, DK Metcalf in particular. I think we're going to see a lot more out of Jerron Brown this year. But that's if there's one question mark right now, to me, it's who's kind of the number two and three receiver options. But everything else, and we almost take it for granted because he's been so good for so long. But Russell Wilson, based on what we've seen in camp, the little bit of the preseason, the fact that he's got a full year under his belt working with Brian Schottenheimer, I think we're going to see him have one if not the best year of his career, one of them. And he, he's looked phenomenal this year. And Pete Carroll says he's still waiting for him to complete 70% of his passes over the course of a season. And he thinks this could be the year. And I hear what you're saying about the wide receivers. And, and I agree. I mean, that tends to be the group where I, I think that's the group that has the most question marks. But here's the question. Do you have a concern about the Seahawks' ability to just score points? No, I don't. And a lot of that goes to the running game we were just talking about that, you know, they average 160 yards a game. And, you know, Chris Carson looks as good as he ever has. Rashad Penny looks better, faster, more fit. CJ Procise, you know, the last two games look great. So I, I think we're going to see the running game pick up right where it left off. And, you know, Tyler Lockett was a lot of ways the number one receiver last year because of the injuries Doug was battling through. So he's already shown he can produce at that level. And I, you know, it, when I say it's a question, I, I think you know people have to prove they can do it, but I do think the right guys are there to get the job done at receiver. Not necessarily one guy coming in and taking over all of Doug Baldwin's production, but a couple guys, maybe it's three guys kind of filling the gaps. But I, I like the young talent there. And maybe it's the running backs. I mean, Shadi's yeah. already said, we plan to throw the ball to the running backs more. So I, I don't know. Do you need a second or third receiver to emerge in week one or two? I mean, it'd be nice, but yeah, you're right. They're going to throw to the running backs more. They're really confident in that group. Will Disley's back and healthy, and we saw what he could do early in the year at tight end. They've got you know they've got a lot of weapons outside of the receiver group that they like. So again, you know, we, we're not sure how it's going to look at receiver, but I think overall the pass catching weapons are there that this offense will function just fine. And I do think that it helps. There's been continuity on the coaching staff, something that the Cincinnati Bengals cannot say this year. But Pete Carroll 
talking about how nice it is to have the same group of coaches together and how that allows them to start fast. The first time around is challenging. It's really challenging. It doesn't mean that you don't have success or you do have success. It's just really challenging because everything's happening for the first time. Decisions that you make, the, the, uh, the observations, the uh, analysis, evaluations, it's all first time and then you don't know until you see what happens with your choices and stuff you make. So it's, uh, you know, you got you to gotta give these guys a chance to get rolling. That doesn't mean that you can't be successful early. You can, you know, and, and obviously Sean did a great job down in L.A. and proved that. And, and he's been very instrumental for a lot of guys, you know, and that, that he's shown that a young guy can go in there and, and put it together and, and be very successful. But, um, you know, we're, yeah, we're in a much different situation. We do have a, a real depth and a, a, a breadth of experience together, and, and we've been through so many things that that does help, you know. And, and so it facilitates um, the decision-making and the analysis and, and the sharing of information to eva evaluate where we are and what we're doing and all that. Um, you know, it's really important for us, so we're going to try to bank on that. So not only do you not have to learn things together this year, but I think one of the biggest benefits to the way the schedule lines up is the fact that the Seahawks start at home. Yeah. I can't even remember the last time we did that because it's only happened seven times in the last 20 years. Yeah, it's, you know, I guess maybe that's what happens when you have a baseball team next door. You're juggling some scheduling with Major League Baseball early. I don't know, but it's uh, it's nice to be home that that two, especially when they've started with two in a row on the road, which they've done a couple times in recent years, in 2015 and last year. I mean, they've shown they can overcome an 0-2 start and make the playoffs. They've done it twice, those two examples I just mentioned. But it sure is nice when you get to start with some home games and get a little momentum and get the crowd behind you. And they've been really good in home openers under Pete Carroll. So that's, uh, you know, all things point to positive outcomes, hopefully. And, you know, I wish the Seahawks had a chance to host more week one games because I remember being in Denver last year and their record is unbelievable because nobody goes into Denver at altitude week one and wins. My guess is if you gave the Seahawks the same opportunity, no way teams want to come in here and play in week one. No, I mean, the, the, you tend to get a crowd that's a little extra fired up for a home opener. This is a great home field advantage any time of the year. And then throw in the fact that Cincinnati's coming in, new offense, things are going to look a little different. They're probably still learning. They've got some questions on their offensive line health-wise. It's it's going to be a really tough go for their offense, I would think. And, yeah, I mean, it'd be great if we could open a home every year. It's, it's fun. <laughs> It's also easier on that travel schedule, but that's neither here nor there. Here's what we know about Cincinnati. And really, when you talk to the coaches, when you talk to the players, there are a lot of unknowns about this week one matchup. But here's what we do know. Zach Taylor, new head coach, formerly with the Rams, right? We got that Correct. part. We know that 16 of the 23 coaches are new to the organization. So there's a lot of newness. We know that A.J. Green is not playing. Andy Dalton's still a great quarterback, a three-time pro bowler. You got Joe Mixon, who's looking for a nice year, right? Led the AFC in rushing yep. last year. Tyler Boyd, thousand or, uh, more than 1,000 yards last year as a wide receiver. And you've got a speedster in John Ross III, who's out of UW. What else do I need to know right now? Well, I think the biggest thing you hinted at there that is kind of the maybe the biggest advantage they have going for them is new head coach. We don't know exactly what that offense is going to look like. 
we think it'll probably have some Rams tendencies because of his background there. Zach Taylor joked on a conference call this week that, yep, we're just going to copy and paste it. It'll be just like the Rams, nothing new. And, you know, obviously they're going to have their own wrinkles to it, but it's that could be the biggest challenge the Seahawks are facing defensively is they're going to have to do some adjusting because obviously the Bengals didn't give a lot away in terms of what they're going to call and their schemes and any wrinkles they're going to throw at teams. They They kept it pretty vanilla in the preseason. But, you know, you, you listed off some weapons they have that even with A.J. Green out, they're, they're still going to be a dangerous team. Bobby Wagner talked about how you try to plan for this. You know, like what kind of film study do you do? And I thought it was interesting. He said, look, you can go back and you can look at the Rams all you want, but now you're looking at personnel groupings. And Cincinnati doesn't have the same personnel. So Zach Taylor can joke about it all he wants, but he doesn't have Todd Gurley running you know you you don't have the same quarterback and so Bobby was talking about you just look at tendencies and types of plays that would hurt you and try to scheme off of that but I gotta think the Seahawks defense just has some experience going for it that you can just go back in that mental Rolodex well and especially the linebackers who you just mentioned when when Bobby Wagner is the one making the calls and helping guys with adjustments and everything having a guy that's a as smart as he is but b has seen as much football as he has and then you factor in that the guy next to him, KJ Wright, they've played together since 2012. So it's not just their individual knowledge, but it's that they can help each other out and know what the other one's thinking, what they're going to do. So that it'll start with them in terms of getting everybody in the right place and doing everything right. But yeah, there is kind of an element of just trust in what you know about football and what you're seeing and then go out and tackle the guy, as KJ said, you know, ultimately it's finding the guy with the ball and tackling him. <laughs> well, sounds simple, but it, it's also Ken Norton saying, if you've watched football for a long time, there's only so many plays you can run. I'm exactly. like, well, I, I get that coach, but there's still got to be something more to it. I didn't even touch on the defensive side of the ball for the Bengals. They do have some names that are recognizable, especially up front. When you talk about guys like Carlos Dunlap and Gino Atkins, just some guys that can make life really difficult on offensive line, which I like. We're going to kind of see a good test right off the bat for a Seahawks offensive line that looks like it could be the best line they've had in a number of years. It's good to kind of see an early test, take take a assessment of where they're at. But yeah, it's you know that's where the Bengals' strength is. They're they're really late on linebackers right now. I think they only have four on the roster, so it'll be curious to see if the Seahawks try to maybe keep them in some heavy personnel just to test those linebackers out. But, uh, yeah, they've got young talent. They've invested some draft picks in the secondary, so there's some talent back there. But I think, you know, for them, it's going to start with those guys up front. Okay, here's the last question before we wrap up the Seahawks Insider Podcast for this week. And I want everybody listening to think about this. Obviously, a win is what the Seahawks want this week. But outside of just getting the W, what do you want to see happen that will make this an even bigger win for the team? I have an answer in what I want to see happen in week one. But what do you want to see that would really highlight this team is on track, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, and this is what's going to signal a good season? Well, I mean, the first thing for them to be on track is – to run the ball on offense and, and everything will kind of play off of that. But if we're looking for some, kind of some specific things, you know, I'd like to see, maybe this plays off the pass rush, but I'd like to see the secondary get some takeaways to show that if that's kind of the, the area we're least sure about on, on the defense, if they can get off to a good start, get the confidence going, I think, I think there's a lot of young talent there that is going to be, you know, maybe better by the end of the year than most people on the outside are thinking, especially those cornerbacks. I think, I think we're going to see, Shaquille and Trey both take their games up quite a bit. So, you know, and 
you know, obviously getting Ziggy and Clowney going, even if it's in reduced roles as they build up, if, if we can see them getting that pressure, that would be great to see. Okay, mine is I want 140 yards rushing. I'd like to oh, see we're getting Chris really Carson. Specific. I know. Okay. I'd like I, I didn't Chris have Carson. numbers ready. Well, that's because I didn't give you a heads Two up. Two interceptions like and a combination of three sacks between Ante and Clowney. Ooh. There you go. I'd like uh, Chris Carson to come up with 100 yards, and I'd like uh, an additional 40 yards on that one. Because if we're moving the ball that well, we're scoring points. That's what they're going to need. We would need more time to continue. We don't have it. We are getting the rap signal. So that is it for this week's edition of the Seahawks Insider Podcast. We are thankful that you are joining us for another season. We will talk to you next week.